Hi everyone, welcome to The Green Room, where we speak to entrepreneurs and thought leaders in fintech across Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Amrita Veer. We are sponsored by the ASEAN Financial Innovation Network, or AFIN, Oxygen by Apex, and Open Banking Fintech Broncos. In this episode, I speak with Gustav Augartsen, founder and CEO of BIMA, a microinsurance and healthcare provider. Gustav talks about seeing the need for e-wallet-enabled financial services, launching BIMA in Ghana 11 years ago, and leading the company's emerging market expansion across Africa, South Asia, and Southeast Asia, as well as branching out into new customer offerings like telemedicine and health screenings. Gustav also talks about how BIMA's insurance can cost as little as two US dollar cents per day. Today, BIMA serves 25 million customers across nine markets and is continuing to expand. You can learn more about them by visiting bimamobile.com. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello everyone, my name is Manish Devan. I am the Managing Director for AFIN, which is ASEAN Financial Innovation Network. We run the very popular apixplatform.com, which is a collaboration platform to help financial institutions work together with a very vibrant ecosystem of fintechs from across the world. We now operate what we call as Oxygen by Apex, which is essentially a knowledge sharing platform. And we are very happy to collaborate with the Green Room it's a great combination of what we do as a platform service provider and what the green room brings to you as a, a knowledge sharing base. You can find out more about Apex on apexplatform.com and you can find out more about Oxygen by logging into apexoxygen.com where you'll find a lot of great panels, keynotes, uh, master classes that we do from time to time and uh, look forward to seeing you there. Gustav, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Amrita. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's great. Great. I, I actually really want to start before BIMA. Um, you know, what you did, your your career actually working at a European telco, what was that experience like? And what did you learn about mobile wallets and how did that inspire you to start BIMA? Yeah, no, no it was it was a great experience. It was a Swedish a Swedish telco, but um, it's called Teletube, but uh, they had a, a footprint uh, across Europe. So I got an opportunity during the first a couple of years of my of my career to work not only in Sweden but also in in in, in other markets like uh, Netherlands, Luxembourg, uh, Norway. So so for me that was great. It was it was a perfect start of my of my career, and I I learned quite a lot about the the telco industry and and how telcos work. But um, um, I, from that job, I, I didn't learn much about uh, about the mobile wallets. That was not something that uh, was really uh, did did exist in in, in Europe at, at the time, but it, it was the the mobile wallets that that uh, inspired me to uh, uh, to to start Bima. Uh, I I had read about uh, what Safaricom uh, were doing in, uh, in in Kenya at the time when they created uh, Mpesa, and and that was extremely inspiring for me because what I what I realized then was that. Um, there, there could be an opportunity for me to leverage uh, the, the telco experience 
that I have and do something something more meaningful with it than just you know provide voice and, and SMS and data services to, to people in Europe. Um, and what what Safaricom had, had done was, was quite amazing when they showed that we can use the the, the mobile infrastructure and uh, basically enable people to to send money to each other and enable people to have something very similar to to uh, to bank accounts. So no, that, that that was really really inspiring. Yeah, I think so many people were inspired by Safaricom and M-Pesa in the way that it completely like leapfrogged what things that we were seeing in the West uh, yeah. and made financial services so accessible. I think it's clear that there's the mobile wallet side, especially through telcos, was a big part of the inspiration. But what about insurance? How did you align on you know, offering insurance services versus other types of financial services via telco? Yeah, no, I think when look at when look at financial services, I think when uh, mobile wallets are, are are being created, that that creates opportunities to build things on top of on top of wallets. So basically, uh, and and the options there, are, I mean, you could go into credit and and loans, which uh, I think that can be done well and that can add value to people but it can also do the opposite. Uh, and I think there are examples of when, when credit products are, are achieving the opposite. What I really like with the concept of insurance is that it's, uh, I mean, it can really save families in emerging markets. It's, it's so fragile, even if they're living a, 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 a good life and they have a regular income, right? There's no, there's no proper protection. There's no safety net. So if, someone in the family gets injured or ill or, or pass away, the, yeah, the family fall into poverty. And that's something that insurance, uh, insurance can, uh, can address. And if you look across African markets or the emerging Asia, the, the situation is, is very, very similar across the countries. People don't have that safety net and in, insurance can, can change that. So the opportunity that I saw was to leverage the, the mobile infrastructure and the mobile technology to provide, provide people with um, affordable insurance. And yeah, and by doing so, uh, they we could avoid the situation that they fall into poverty if, if, if something bad happens to them. Uh, so for me, insurance felt like a, a, a product that can really do good. And other, I, I don't think that's the case necessarily for financial services. Yeah, I think as someone who works in the, more in the lending space, I definitely see there is um, there is some gray area, and it's definitely yeah. true that even the most well intentioned financial services can can end up sometimes causing the opposite effect. So totally with you there. Yeah. So I think you also talked about you know emerging markets being a huge underserved market and where you wanted to focus. Um, and you actually decided to start in Ghana, I believe in 2010. So one, I guess, why did you decide to start in Ghana um, among the many different emerging markets out there? Um, are there any particular challenges or opportunities that you saw um, with the Ghanaian market in particular? Yeah, I think there are, when, when starting a business in, in, in Africa, and I had I, never been to, to Africa before I started Viva. And, while I was uh, young and uh, in, in, in some ways a bit naive, uh, at the same time, I, I also realized that it, it probably makes sense to not start with 
the most difficult African market. And some of the, some of the African markets are, ex, are extremely uh, uh, challenging. Um, and, but if you compare Ghana to some of the other uh, sub-Saharan markets, uh, it's, it's a bit easier in a few ways. It's English speaking, it's uh, politically stable, it's quite safe. So from that perspective, it's a good, it's a good place to start. And if you're successful in Ghana, you will have an, I mean, you can, you can learn quite a lot and you can, uh, you can bring that to other, to other markets that are maybe bigger and, and, and a bit more challenging. Um, so those were some of the reasons, but then we also had um, from um, uh, our, our, our first uh, investor, uh, it's a Swedish, Swedish investor called uh, uh, Shinnevik and they, one of their portfolio companies, so it's a mobile operator that has uh, uh, operations in a number of African markets and, and Ghana, is, Ghana is one of them. So thanks to that, I got also some kind of support uh, on, on the ground from, uh, from them and, and um, they also became our, our first partner. Yeah, that's that's really incredible that you had such supportive investors. I'm thinking of that time, you know, in 2010, that was way before I think a lot of investors or the startup ecosystem had really developed a lot of appetite for microinsurance. So the fact that you were able to have investors on board at that time is is really incredible and a testament to to Kinevik. Did I get it right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I agree. No, they, they've been they, they've been amazing, and, and they've been supported throughout the, throughout the journey. So that's that's been extremely helpful. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Because we ch chatted about this a bit when we met up, but I actually also spent time in Ghana, uh, also around ten years ago. Maybe our right. our paths crossed over there, and I was working in microfinance there. Ghana was the first African market that I'd really spent any time with as well, and. I also went there for very similar reasons, English speaking, um, you know, I grew up, grew up in the US, so it was English speaking, politically stable, um, and felt like it was a little bit safer to, to get around than some of the other markets. Definitely like a similar experience. I also remember, I'm trying to think about the state of mobile wallets when I was there. I remember I had like a little flip phone that I used to top up with Orange credits, uh, you know, every week. I'd go down to like the local hawk, hawker center, get my... Um, get my jollof rice or wache for lunch and then get my, you know, credits to last me for the week to top up on my phone, which is an experience I was completely not used to doing in the US, which is a much more of like a postpaid market. Can you talk a little bit about the state of mobile wallets in Ghana at the time um, and what really enabled you to work with the telcos there? Yeah, no, I, I think if, if you look back at that time, so around 2010, um, 2011. That's when the mobile wallets were, were launched in in Ghana, um, and around this time, across Africa, uh, there were uh, and, and also in Asia, were a number of uh, of mobile operators that tried to to copy what Safaricom had had done a couple of years earlier. Um, but it wasn't mature at all, and um, I think also many of the many of the telcos underestimated how hard it was to to get this going and to also to educate people around how to use it. And uh, uh, so, so it, it it didn't take off as rapidly as I think many many expected around that time, 2010, 11, 12. So for us, what that meant when, when we launched our first product, we couldn't really leverage the, the wallets. We had to, to 
charge uh, people the um, uh, the insurance premium uh, through deductions from their uh, prepaid airtime uh, balance rather than from their their mobile money wallets. So therefore we integrated with with telcos in 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 in, in a different way than what we're what we're doing now i mean today the landscape have shifted uh, completely even if the 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 mobile wallets didn't take off immediately outside kenya eventually the uh, the telcos and also other providers of, of financial services or wallets like you know, Grab being one good example uh, that you yeah. work with, but also, but also GoJack and there are other platforms in in Asia that provide wallets now, and 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 that trend is is very over. I mean, it's growing so quick across across all these uh, all these markets. So now the circumstances are are, are different, but in in the beginning it was uh, yeah it was actually quite slow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and which can I ask which telcos you you worked with in Ghana? So in Ghana, and how easy the, was it? Sorry, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, no, in, in Ghana, we worked with um, uh, a telco called uh, uh, Tigo uh, in in Ghana initially, uh, and that we, we we had a close partnership with them, and we did we did, we did uh, co-branded uh, uh, products with them. But then, as the mobile wallets uh, took off. Um, our business model has also has also transformed. So we are now operating completely under our own our own brand, and we're not we're not partnering with one particular telco. We just integrated with all of the um, the, the the telcos that offer mobile wallets, and, and customers can yeah use whatever whatever the wallet they 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 want to pay pay their monthly premium. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible to see that that evolution of the wallet industry over so many years. Christoph, I think you decided to start with life insurance as your first product. Why why did you decide to start with life insurance? So for us, life insurance was a good way to start because there's a there's a huge need for it, right? If if someone is 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 passing away, that's a creates an extremely challenging situation for uh, for the other family members and and the life life insurance policy can really help um so that was one reason and then um, uh, another reason is that life insurance policies are fairly easy to to administrate and we knew that we can only make this business model work if we reach scale we need a, a lot of customers and um, with life insurance, you can actually build a quite large customer base without too much uh, administration uh, on the uh, on the claims handling side because the claims volume is, is lower. So those were some of the reasons why we uh, why we started with life. Uh, but then, uh, I mean, our product portfolio has has evolved massively since then. And, and and right now, if you look at what it is that we're offering uh, consumers, uh, it's actually um, uh, a platform of different uh, health services. So insurance still play a role, but we have expanded into to telemedicine uh, services. Uh, we we are um, doing a lot within like health screenings. We are integrated with labs and pharmacies and and and, uh, and, and hospitals. We give people access to to uh, to specialists um, over uh, over phone, etc. So. Life insurance was just a start for us, but yeah, then, then the, the product portfolio has, has evolved a lot since then. Yeah. So I guess, would you characterize yourself now more as a 
an ins- a micro insurance company or like a full suite of health and insurance services? Yeah, definitely full full suite of 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 of, uh, of, um, of health services. Where yeah, again, insurance play a key role, but uh, there 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 are a number of services connected to our to to our health platform, uh, and uh, we we see an enormous opportunity in 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 bundling insurance with 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 health services to yeah to prove provide a better experience to, to consumers and also to to um, uh, to create frequent touch points with customers where we continuously can demonstrate that we that we're there for them and and uh, and build up that trust in our customer base yeah that's really interesting particularly that point around trust is so important especially because I assume a large part of your customer base, uh, they may not be able to really understand the value proposition of having insurance or um, having some preventative uh, healthcare. How are you able to communicate the product offering to them? Where do they find out about it in the first place? And then once they know that they have the option, how can you actually help them kind of understand a lot of the complicated nuance that goes into insurance. I mean, I know that I uh, I struggle to understand my own yeah. insurance products. Yeah, and so when you're when you're speaking with a population that very underserved, they may not have ever heard of this type of product before. How do you actually engage with them to build trust and, and keep them on as customers? Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a great question. I, I think this is one of our kind of the core strengths uh, uh, within Beamam is that from from the beginning, what we have done is that we said that everything has to be digitalized, especially in two thousand and ten uh, when, when we launched in, in in Ghana. Everything that had to do with with, with insurance was just involving a lot of a lot of paperwork. But from start, we've said that everything has to be digitalized. Everything from Customer registration to uh, continuous communication, customer service claims, etc. Um, so that's been key, and that continues to be key. And the opportunities and what you can do in terms of the digital journey is is also improving a lot as um, the smartphone penetration increases. Mm-hmm. But that is not solving the 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 challenge. I mean, that's not how you scale. Uh, a business. Um, it's not right now. If you look across the emerging market, it's not enough to just create a great digital experience and expect people to subscribe themselves and and get access to insurance and health services and understand how that will work. That that will just not that that will not happen. Um, you need that side. You need the digital side, but you also need the human touch and the, and, the, and, and the physical side. And I think what's what's been key to our success has been that we can combine the two. And we have sold now more more than forty million uh, uh, in, in insurance policies since since start. And that's been uh, a result of our digital approach, but with, with with this human touch. So what that means for us is that if we, for example, advertise our products uh, through social media. Uh, then, yeah, those customers who understand them and have maybe had an insurance policy before or used telemedicine before, yeah, they can subscribe through their phone, and, and that's great. But many of our customers are buying this, so as you say, for the for the first time, and they don't understand. So they can instead just express interest that they they're interested in the product, and then we have someone calling them. So across all of our markets, we have a call center associates who are dedicated 
full time with Bima to sell our, our policy. So what they're doing is that they're reaching out to the customer and they provide that education education element and that's how the customer is buying the, the, the policy and in several of our markets we also have uh, sales in the field so out in the in busy marketplaces you can you can find bima sales associates who are who are selling our policies and a key component of the sales process is the is the education um so so th that's been that's been absolute key for how we for how we reach volume, um, but even after the sales process, uh, we we still believe a lot in that in that human touch, and uh, a part of the onboarding journey includes conversations between customers and either our nurses or our doctors, who are collecting information about the customer's health and the family member's health, um, and that's something that we do in order to yeah to tailor. To tailor the, the the journeys for those customers and and also to um, uh, uh, to tailor how how we're following up with them and and the, the product and services that that, that we recommend um, and and again when people go through that experience when they talk about their their health there are certain things that you can solve for through through technology or through um, uh, for example, uh, artificial intelligence, but there are also certain things that people, where people really value to speak to a human. So also going forward, we, we, we see it as critical both in the sales and education process, but also in the service delivery process to have that blend of you know, digital solutions, but also with a, with a human touch. It's good stuff. You hear so many fintechs that are using a really low touch method to engage with their customers. Mm -hmm. And I, I was actually just reading an article a couple of weeks ago about a, a couple of fintechs in the US that tried to do this. And they ended up losing a bunch of customers because they weren't able to provide customer service uh, in a way that people felt like you know they could understand or that they were being listened to. And so I think the BIMA approach is really smart. But I do have to ask, I mean, how do you employ so many salespeople and, and a customer service mm -hmm. operation and also keep your business scalable and you know keep your opex low um while also you know i think another key component is keeping it affordable for your customer mm -hmm. base how are you able to or to have such a high touch approach um and also be scalable and affordable mm -hmm. yeah no exactly and, and i think what does enable this is the the, the growth of the of the wallets and uh, that we have been able to integrate with the wallets in a way that, that we can collect uh, premiums on a recurring basis for, for customers. So what that enables us to do is that it's it's not a one-off transaction with the customer. It's, it's impossible to invest the kind of time and money that we invest in educating um, a customer if they would, let's say, just buy an insurance policy for a month or if they would use our telemedicine service once that that doesn't work but our whole business model is 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 built around subscriptions so mm -hmm. in all our integrations with the wallets we're integrated in the way that our customers can uh, subscribe for a policy where we collect premium on a recurring basis and um, what that means is that a customer has come on board and if we create a good experience for that customer, then that customer will stay with us. So even if they're only paying a couple of dollars uh, a month in premium, if they stay with us for several years, 
that is actually building up to a fairly substantial amount mm -hmm. of money. And that allows us to invest in the acquisition and the onboarding process. Um, but then it also comes back to providing those sales associates um, with the right equipment. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, so, so what that means is that if you're selling our product, what we have to make sure is that you have the right tools and the right data to understand what is the right product for this customer. So you get the conversion rate up. And thanks to that, you can have really high productivity. For the sale. And the combination of a subscription product where people stay over time, combined with high, with high sales productivity, that makes the economics work. And that's what we see that we have, we have now, uh, our unit economics are, are gradually in, uh, in, in improving, but it's, 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 we, have, we see strong underlying profitability in the business and our more, our more mature markets uh, in, 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 in Africa, for example, Ghana or, 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 or uh, Sri Lanka in, uh, in, in South Asia, where we've been operating for some time, we also see uh, strong profitability in those markets. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, it's it's really about the repeat, the recurring revenue that you're getting, even if it's a small yeah. amount that a customer is paying every month. Uh, is it is it every week? Is it every month? How frequently are customers repaying? So we have structured our payments in in in, in different ways, depending on the the payment channel and and also depending on the uh, the segment of, of of customers. So it's ranging from daily to uh, uh, to monthly. Got it. Got it. And can I ask, what's the lowest premium that you offer? Yeah. So we our lowest priced uh, uh, products are um, they they they're down at a bit less than uh, uh, two dollar cents per day. Wow, two cents per day. Yeah. That's so affordable. I yeah. uh, would hope that I would hope that everybody can afford that. Almost everybody can afford that. Most people can, can afford that. And then that's, I mean, we're not, majority of our, 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 our policies that we sell are, are priced higher, but th this comes back to our, uh, to, to our purpose and what we want to achieve as an organization. We, we want to offer our products and services and make it affordable to as many people as we possibly can. Um, and therefore we, we, we have these really uh, low price policies in order to not exclude people. But uh, um, if you look at the emerging middle class in the market where we operate, uh, there are, there's, a, there's, a, there's a very large share of the, of the, of the population, actually the majority of the population in the market that can actually afford products that are priced more like uh, five, to, five to ten dollars um, uh, per month. And these, these consumers are also underserved. They're not targeted by the uh, by the more kind of traditional insurance industry. So that, that just creates a massive opportunity. Wow. Wow. That is a massive opportunity. And, you know, I'm just thinking the last year and a half, uh, even longer with, with COVID, has probably really exacerbated the need for accessible, affordable insurance and, and you know, the full suite of healthcare products that BEMA is offering. Can you share a little bit about, like, what that impact, the COVID impact has really looked like on your business? Yeah, I think when, as we have evolved from yeah, insurance to, to the concept of a health platform where telemedicine play an absolute key role, um, I think we see 
that our business has become even more relevant um, as a result of COVID, partly because people in general are more kind of aware and think about their, their health, but uh, also um, obviously because telemedicine is, is, is a great way to access uh, uh, doctors during a, a pandemic. So, uh, and before before COVID, uh, I mean, we started to, to, to build out our telemedicine service before COVID. Uh, one of the challenges that we had then was um, to get um, regulatory approvals to do so, or to get the regulator to to work on some form of framework which would regulate telemedicine. And that, that was quite gray area, it didn't really exist. And it's still a bit gray. Uh, the regulation is, 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 is not always clear, but uh, what COVID has done is that it has really, I think, forced or encouraged regulators to be supportive. So what we see across all our markets is that even if there's more work to be done around the regulation, uh, uh, there's support uh, to, to provide those kind of services. So I think that that's been, a, in that sense, a positive uh, uh, experience for us. And so we see increased demand from customers. We, we see increased uh, utilization of telemedicine that has, has, a, that has doubled uh, during, the, during the pandemic. Uh, but then we've also had a lot of uh, a lot of operational challenges, of course, uh, uh, from from COVID. With uh, shifting a large workforce to working from home environment, we have had uh, sales uh, sales associates operated in the field that have not been able to go out because of lockdown. So during the uh, especially during the first six months of the, of the of the pandemic that was extremely challenging but that has also it's it forced us to evolve our business model and to to learn how to 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 live with that and uh, uh, even if if uh, um, it, yeah we were interrupted by it uh, i think that uh, um, we, we managed to deal with it and, and uh, now we're back to we're back to stronger growth than what we had um, uh, in before even before COVID. Wow, that's that's really incredible, Gustav. Um, and so glad that like the market has had an offering like Bima that you know it could rely on in this really tough time. I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about your geographic expansion. Because I, you know, I was looking kind of at the at the Bima map, and it's a couple of countries in Africa, it's a few countries in South in Southeast Asia, and I think Sri Lanka in, in South Asia. Um, but there's not like you know full coverage of like West Africa. I think a lot of people would say, okay, if you start in Ghana, it makes sense to move next door to Nigeria, which is a huge yeah. market, which has yeah. a lot of you know startup ecosystem and capital. But you seem to have expanded in a in a bit of a different way. So I'm wondering a little bit about your theory. Why does it make more sense to expand from Ghana to Bangladesh instead of Ghana to Nigeria? Yeah. No, it's a good, it's a good question, and um, as as you say, we have we're in, in, in only in two markets now in in Africa. We really wanted to make sure that we've proven the uh, the business model uh, fully before we go into a market, uh, a large African market like like uh, Nigeria. Um, now that's something that we are uh, looking closely at again, uh, and I think we will see some geographical expansion in, in, in Africa uh, going forward. Um, but the, 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 um, the reason why we are in the markets that we are right now, it comes back to 
some of the things we discussed earlier related to the to the mobile wallets uh, and that the mobile wallets didn't take off and they didn't mature at the same pace across all markets. And they're just, they're so critical as an enabler for us that that concept of customers subscribing and paying a monthly monthly fee on a recurring basis, that, that's critical to the profitability of the model. And uh, a market like you mentioned Nigeria, a market like Nigeria, for example, haven't had that wallet, uh, uh, wallet landscape. Uh, it's coming now, but it hasn't evolved at all in the same pace as a market like, like Ghana. But in Bangladesh, that has happened. And there's um, uh, a, a wallet provider called Bcash in Bangladesh, which has done an amazing job in, um, in, um, in growing their platform in Bangladesh. So that was an enabler for us in, 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 in Bangladesh that didn't exist in, in, in Nigeria. So from that perspective, when you look at what is enabling Bima's business model, there have been more similarities between Ghana and Bangladesh than it's been between Ghana and, and, and Nigeria. Uh, so if we think about geographical expansion going forward, that is a key parameter that, that, that we look at. Is, are the mobile wallets maturing? Can we integrate them in, with them in the right way? And then, of course, we also look at things like the size of the of the uh, of, of the market, um, uh, and and then obviously also whether there's a need for our products and services. But that's is actually the situation across pretty much all emerging markets. I mean, the the, the challenge is the same. People don't have access to high quality healthcare, uh, and they don't have um, access to to insurance. So our health platform. I think can make a difference in 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 in, in many markets, um, but uh, we, we will be selective based on size, maturity of the wallet landscape, and then of course we also need to have a, the regulation that is that is supportive of, of our model. No, it's really interesting that like the key enabler is is actually a market having a wallet like wallet penetration or uh, a telco that has a wallet type of product that has deep penetration in the market. You know, and it's also making me think, you know, there are a few different, when we think about in micro insurance in particular, mm. there are like a few different models. Obviously there's like traditional standalone insurance that delivers through, you know, its own independent channels. Mm. There's the BEMA model, which is also a bit more independent, but in, is enabled via wallets and telco providers. Mm. And then there's like the kind of embedded finance model of like the grab, which is, you know, um, where I, where I spent my time, where the insurance is within, within a, an ecosystem platform or a service offering that someone already uses. To me, it seems like BMI gets the best of both those worlds. It kind of sits in the middle. You can kind of benefit from the scale of a, of an e-wallet or a telco provider, but also have ownership over like the type of insurance and health services that you offer. Do you see it that way? Or do you, do you think that maybe one day BMA will start its own wallet or morph into another model? Like how do you view the wallet landscape in relation to, to BMA? Yeah, it, it's, it's a great question. I mean, we, we like our, our independence. And uh, as you said, what we are aiming to do is to, to, be, to put ourselves in a position where we're not 
fully committed to or integrated with just one platform or one wallet provider where um, there are restrictions around what we, we, what we can do or uh, uh, where, where we're just leveraging someone else's brand. Uh, that's something we try to avoid. We want to be more independent. We want to be able to leverage all payment channels or platforms that, that, that exist in the, in the market. But I think also the embedded model will, will continue to, to exist for, for, uh, uh, for, for a long time. And I think we would, also be, we would also be open to have embedded products with partners as well. What's just critical for us is that we, it's not limiting our our freedom. So I I, I also see see you know it's good reasons in, in sometimes getting closer to partners and do things uh, and do things together. But what's important for us is that when we have a, a consumer, that we have the freedom to engage with that consumer, uh, collect information from that consumer, and offer them additional services. Uh, based on what we think is right for that customer or what that customer wants to have. And some of the models where you have an embedded product uh, become inefficient in the way that all parties involved have to agree upon everything. There can be challenges around who owns data and who can do what. And th th that's something that we, that we would like to avoid going forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I'm also wondering, you know, does being independent uh, in the middle allow you to really have a lot of flexibility in terms of the products you offer across markets? I imagine the same product offering in Sri Lanka doesn't apply to, you know, your customers in the Philippines. Imagine there's also a level of flexibility that you have in, in thinking about the product offering. Is that true? Yeah. No, that, 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 that is exactly right. And, and this is also where um, I mean, the, the power of being independent. Uh, uh, I think if you, even if there are a lot of synergies and or similarities between markets and the fundamental need for uh, access to healthcare um, and, uh, and access to financial protection is the same, we have to make adjustments uh, uh, per market. and. We want also to have the freedom to, to do so. And we want to have the freedom to, as we expand our product portfolio and add a new service, we want to make sure that we can offer that to all of our, all of our customers. And, uh, and that's critical for us. Um, and in, in, in the past, when we have had partnerships that have been a bit too integrated, that can create limitations when it comes to, for example, new product launches. Uh, Etc. So um, now we, we value that um, that independence and freedom freedom a lot. Then you also also asked about launching our own our own wallet. Um, we have right now cross market something that we refer to as as our, our health wallet, but it's not in any way a like a, a, a e money or mobile money wallet that competes with, with with others. But we have a concept for our customers, which is that if they are uh, paying their monthly premium, they're building up a balance of uh, in the wallet of what we call health points. And with those health points, they can pay for drugs or they can um, pay for medical equipment or, or other health related things. Um, and that's something that we're gonna focus more on, on, on going forward, but we will not launch our own payment platform that, that competes with others in, in the market. 
our focus will be on integrate with the existing payment platforms or the existing wallets um, and make sure that we create flexibility for customers. So if someone wants to subscribe to our service, they should be able, able to pay for that service independently if they are a user of um, you know, Bcash in, in, in Bangladesh or in, 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 if they're in Indonesia, whether they have GoPay or Uvu or Shopee or someone else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've definitely seen some of the constraints of, of other models where, you know, you're bound by a centralized product team. You can't make some of those like hyper-local adjustments to, to the market base and even the regulation. Um, you shared a little bit about the, the role of government earlier. I'm wondering if you've noticed any differences of government support for BMO's work by market, uh, particularly in Southeast Asia. Uh, we, we have, I mean, in general, I think what's been positive for us is that uh, uh, the, the regulators uh, are fundamentally aligned with what we want to do. In, insurance regulator wants people to have access to, to insurance, that was mm-hmm. an increased insurance uh, uh, penetration. And um, uh, on, on the health side, regulators want um, consumers to have access to uh, to high quality healthcare. So there is general support. We have also been, uh, lucky in the sense that uh, we had a completely unproven concept. When we were doing this for the first time, we had support from the regulator in, in Ghana, and that gave us a use case. So as we have expanded, they've been able to demonstrate to regulate that this is what they've done in other markets. Um, and that gives a lot of, 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 of credibility. Um, one example in, in Southeast Asia is um, um, in Malaysia, for example, we've been working quite closely with the, with the insurance regulator. We provided input on um, uh, the, the new version of the, of the regulation. And I think that's exactly how we want to work, to, to, to partner with the regulator or to, to engage with the regulator and have an opportunity, even if they in the end decide what the new regulation would look like. We really appreciate when we can provide our perspective uh, on that. Um, and another example is Indonesia, where we are um, uh, listed as one of the um, uh, telemedicine uh, provider that is um, uh, supporting the, uh, the government through the, through the pandemic. Um, so uh, I, I think overall, it's, it's, it's been a positive experience for us working um, with regulatory bodies across the markets. But uh, as we initiated our geographical expansion, there were also some markets where we realized that we wouldn't be able to, to launch them because then, uh, yeah, it wasn't supported by the regulatory environment. Yeah. It also makes me think of like the, the role of the investors that you have. Mm-hmm. Our good friend Stuart uh, from Leapfrog connected mm-hmm. us, who is one of BIMA's um, big investors. And you shared a little bit about this earlier, but like seeing the role of investors change or the way their thinking has changed over the course of the last 11 years, especially now we're seeing this explosion of microinsurance companies raising tons of money, especially in Southeast Asia. Mm. Let's see, there's Policy Pal and Igloo uh, in Singapore. There's Koala Pasta Police in Indonesia and even, you know, Grab Insure. How do you see investors' attitudes changing? And what do you think that means for like the future of the microinsurance space? Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good question. Uh, I uh, I think we're going to see uh, increased, uh, continued increased 
uh, interest for uh, from investors. And I think there would be a lot of of excitement around uh, insurance and health going forward um, as a result of the opportunities that are being uh, created as the, the payment platforms are emerging. Um, right now, we're in the process of consumers are moving from cash to to uh, uh, to e-wallets, and that is creating the kind of fundamental basics for reaching the mass market with, with insurance and with other health services. So I think there's been a bit of kind of hype and increased interest in, in insurance and insure tech over the last years, but um, there hasn't been, I think, any other company than, than Vima that across markets have been able to go direct to consumer with a scalable, with a scalable model. Um, and that is an opportunity that's been created thanks to the to the to the to the wallets. And I think if we look five years ahead, circumstances for uh, for us and also others to be able to go direct to consumers with insurance and health service will increase a lot further. And I think that will create some really exciting use cases of companies. Bima will be one of them, uh, but. Uh, uh, likely others as well, that will really show that it's now possible to create really exciting direct-to-consumer models in, in, in these markets that would reach massive scale. And uh, I, I think then we will see uh, even a, lot, a lot more funding coming into this, uh, uh, to this industry. Yeah, that's, um, that's an exciting future ahead. I can't wait to see it. Um, so, Gustav, I think that's about all the time we have for today. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? And if our listeners want to learn more about Bima, where can they find more information? Uh, yeah, they can. Uh, they can um, find information on. They can find us on on, on LinkedIn or our, our website bimamobile.com or yeah, but, uh, I say LinkedIn and reach out to 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 us. If you're happy to to engage, we're always looking for. For, uh, for talented people who, who want to work uh, with us and, and provide uh, uh, health services to, to people in the markets where we operate. So yeah, please reach out and um, uh, uh, we, we have to, be happy to speak. Great. Thank you so much, Gustav, for being our guest today. And thank you for our audience for joining us. Please write to us with any comments and we hope to see you again soon. Thanks, Gustav. Thank you, Amrita. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello, my name is Todd Schweitzer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Brancas. Brancas is a Southeast Asia-based open finance technology company. And we do several things. We work with banks and other financial institutions with a set of software solutions to help them launch open APIs and API products um, in a matter of weeks. And we also provide uh, simplified APIs that enable any FinTech or e-commerce or online business to instantly connect to financial services across Southeast Asia through a simple API. We operate in Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, and soon Bangladesh. And I'm very excited to participate in the Green Room and forward to supporting the Green Room podcast and also the broader Apex Oxygen initiatives. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Green Room with Amrita Veer. 
Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest updates. You can also visit amritavir.com to get more information, join our mailing list, or just reach out to us. You can also write to us at greenroomfintech at gmail.com and follow our Instagram handle, greenroomfintech. We would love to hear from you. Catch you later.